0: heard spencer pray just a minute ago for the, the message from james and uh thinking wait we finished that back in the fall but if you remember uh, you, you probably don't we actually there was a little bit of a uh mix up in communication with our guest speakers and we we actually ended up skipping uh one little portion of james and john and i as we talked about it said instead of coming back uh instead of doing it then we'll just come back to it and i thought it'd be a great actually beginning of the year um sermon, and we've done this in the past, some topical stuff at the beginning of the year about the church or about uh, stewardship, and, and this one uh, that we skipped probably would have been a convenient one to leave skipped, um, but James doesn't let us do convenience, uh, as we found out through the fall, so James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, the sins of the tongue. And um, probably some of you, it's funny, I already caught, I, Friday when the bulletin went out, I, by Friday night I already got comments on the, the sermon title like, hey, that's the 80's song, right? Uh, you know, you hear the little saxophone solo in your head, yes. Uh, uh, careless whisper is uh, what we want to talk about today and, and the, the careless use of our tongues. So turn in your Bibles to James chapter 3 and let's let James bother us one more time and uh, convict us through the power of the Holy Spirit I'll read this as we uh, turn there not many of you should become teachers my brothers for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness for we all stumble in many ways and if anyone does not stumble in what he says he is a perfect man able also to bridle his whole body if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us we guide their whole bodies as well look at the ships also Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. God, help us to hear this morning what you're saying to us through the book of James. This area of our speech, so difficult for us to control. May we be challenged this morning and built up for your glory, God. I pray that your spirit would work, God. I don't have words. May your spirit take your truth from these pages and do your powerful work in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, the tongue, a small thing, Cause a lot of damage, right? We're going to unpack that a little bit. I, uh, I've two times have torn the acl in my right knee and uh, the acl is only about one and a half inches long on average it's not very big you can't see it's kind of hidden down in between here Um, you tear that thing and you're a mess for a while Uh, a lot of pain a lot of rehab you tear it twice even more pain more rehab and, and my last surgery I don't even remember now uh, actually Dave Stevens was with me the last time I I it up at Lake Ann we were playing tackle football and um, about a 300 pound uh, youth pastor landed sideways on my knee and I knew right away and I'm like Dave help me and <laughs> Dave carried me to, no, he didn't, uh, uh, but we went to the hospital, and, and I knew what it was right away, and I was like, listen, I only came to get a brace. You can x-ray it, whatever, but I, I know what's wrong with it. Just slap a brace on me, so going to get the freeze out, and we'll fix it later, you know, but man, that, that little ACL, it is a pain, <laughs> and, it, and it, you can't walk for weeks, can't run, can't exercise, the damage it can inflict. That's where James is going with this, the tongue, it's, it's so small. And yet the damage it can inflict is is so great, right? Um, We can be so careless with how we speak and the damage we inflict with our tongues. So I want to say this, you know, one of the the overall themes here in in James is is unity and... uh, and uh, that's kind of the overall context, especially 3.13 into chapter 4, and he talks about the fighting and the quarrels and, and begging them to, to, to deal with that and be at peace. And, and so a sermon like this, I'm not sitting in my office this so week, "Go, man, this is such a problem at Forest Hills. I, I've actually, it's, it's been, I was just so proud of the unity that has been shown here. And even again yesterday, Jake, reflect on a minute ago. We had a great deacon-elder retreat, and I got home, and Kathy's like, how was it? And I'm like, it's just a great spirit, uh, just our, our leaders, our deacons, and our elders. And have been so proud of the unity. But I also know how Satan works. And, uh, and, and John Owen, uh, the great Puritan writer, in his book, uh, The Mortification of Sin, writes this. He says, sin is never more dangerous than when it's most quiet sin is never more dangerous than when it's most quiet and so just because it's not a problem right now doesn't mean we need to you know need to forget about it or not worry about it uh you you, those of you have kids right you know how this this goes um i have this picture i asked my son permission um this is zach a long time ago how he got toilet paper out of the bathroom, around the corner, down the hall, and into the kitchen without breaking it. It still amazes me. Um, and, but um, this is him, I think, uh, we titled the, 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 my man leaving the scene of the crime. And but You know how this is with kids, right? You'd be sitting there in the living room, and you're like, oh, man, it's so nice. It's so quiet in the house right now. And then, like, right away, the next thought is, oh no, it's so quiet in the house right now. And and you go out and you find things like this, like toilet paper. And one of my other children uh, one time, uh, the same thing, quiet. And we're like, where is she? And we go in the bathroom and she's surrounded by piles of feminine products, all emptied out and opened. And she's so happy playing with them. And, And, you know, quiet oftentimes is dangerous. And that's the lesson we need to take about unity in the tongue. Satan's content sometimes to let this thing just kind of sit. He plays the long game and he takes advantage of small things here and there and then lets it build. We got to be aware of that when it comes to the tongue. Controlling the tongue in James chapter 3 here can be linked back to previous statements James, already, James has already made on faith and works and on pure religion, right? Words are works. And and James emphasizes this throughout. And and if you remember, back back in chapter 1, verse 19, he says, Be quick to hear and slow to speak. In verse 26, he says, Anyone who thinks his religion is something but doesn't bridle his tongue is deceived. Uh, We have the, the big passage here in chapter 3. In chapter 4, verse 1, What causes quarrels and fights among you? Verse 11 of chapter 4, Do not speak evil against a brother. Chapter 5, verse 12, let your yes be yes and your no be no, right? Truthful speech. Jo- uh, James is very, very concerned about speech in the body of Christ because he knows how destructive it can be. So here's what we do, right, when we read James chapter 3. Our mind goes to the big thing. My Mine does because that makes me feel a little bit better about myself. Right, So I go to the big things, right? Verbal abuse of a, of a spouse or children or, or vulgarity or, or lying, right? The, the, the big ones, the big lies, right? However, we always need to remember that Satan always plays in the more subtle arenas of life. Does he not? Over the years, I mean, how many big, ugly blow-ups have we had here at Forest Hills? Not many. I've seen Kevin... T- I can count on one hand, probably. In my 23 years, I can think of something maybe where someone said something in a meeting or something, and I don't even think I need all five fingers for it, right? However, how many quiet conversations have there been where we've spoken negatively about someone in the body that have taken place in the foyer or after a class or around the dinner table or in the car after church or in the coffee shop? Hmm. Hmm. There may not be enough fingers in the room right now to count all of those. More subtle, more dangerous. We want to think today about the more subtle and, to steal Jerry Bridges' term, the respectable sins of the tongue. Carelessness. How many times have we ruined a night at home? Maybe not with intentional, mean-spirited speech, but with careless speech. That comes under controlling the tongue. How about boasting? How about speaking without knowing all the details about a situation? Not being quick to hear and slow to speak. How about talking too much? Right? Speaking at the wrong time. Proverbs speaks about this all over the place. How about unfeeling and insensitive speech? How about complaining? Anyone in here? You're laughing good. I'm not alone. (laughs) Think Israel, right? In the Old Testament. How about reactionary words? Where we react instead of respond. I'm learning there's a difference between the two. Right? How about being critical? How about being negative? How about our tone? Right? Not just what we say, but how we say it. My tone can indicate a lack of control. My tone can be just as damaging as what I say how about no filter let's go back to lying but now let's talk about the little ones innuendo flattery to get what we want sarcasm sometimes we wear that one with like a badge of honor I'm a really good sarcastic person that sometimes it's funny but sarcasm can be very damaging having to win or get in the last word and how about this one let's include this how about social media This is still speaking in the sense that I'm giving expression to my thoughts, right? All social media has done is allow me to sin more efficiently, (laughs) right? More easily. I can spread my, my, instead of the two or three people standing in the foyer with me, now I can spread it to hundreds on my social media account, right? Let's think about these things. And this is all over the Bible, Proverbs. Man, you, you want to be convicted, just look up all the speech and tongue reference and word reference in the book of Proverbs. It's, like, it's going to be like a sledgehammer, jackhammer. Boom, 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 boom. It's over and over. Here's a few. Proverbs 10.8, the wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. The person who talks too much, right? With, with his mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor. The words of the wicked lie in wait for blood. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrust, right? Speaking without thinking, rash, it's like a sword. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. A fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. A fool's mouth is his ruin. The Bible has a lot to say about the use of... Of our tongues. So James starts here with a kind of a specific example, and he's going to move into some more broad stuff. But, but as, he, as he begins, he says, let's, let's talk about teaching. And we're talking about the dangers of the tongue. Teachers are in a precarious position, and he gives this warning. I'm going to have uh, uh, Luke back there. Show this clip real quick, Luke, and I'll give him a second to get that pulled up. But um, th- the preface to this clip is from one of my favorite movies, Cool Runnings. Wow, that's like one of the biggest responses you have tomorrow. Uh And there's this scene, right? There's Derice, and he, he's uh, and he, he's the, the push pushcart driver from Jamaica. And so the coach is assigning their positions in the bobsled and and he says, Derice, you're going to be the brake man. Not Derice. I got the Sanka, Sanka, <laughs> Sanka, and um, Sanka wants to be the driver. He's having this argument with the coach. I'm the driver. Coach's like, no, you're the brakeman. I'm the driver. You're the brakeman. I'm the greatest push cart driver in all of Jamaica. I'm the driver. You're the brakeman. And they have this arguments. And and the coach makes his point about his experience. And then he talks about what it means to be a driver. Go ahead, Luke. One. He's the first to show up and the last to leave. When his teammates are all out drinking beer. He's up in his room studying pictures of turns. You see, a driver must remain focused 100% at all times. Not only is he responsible for knowing every inch of every course he raises, he's also responsible for the lives of the other three people in his sled. Now, do you want that responsibility? I say we make the, the driver. So do I, Sanka. So do I. He's making a point. You really want that? You really want that? Now, coach is saying that we need a driver. We need drivers. He's not saying nobody should be drivers, but he's saying you need to weigh this. And that's where he goes here at the beginning of this this speech about teachers. He's not saying, James isn't saying, no one should be a teacher. Right? I don't want to get like hate mail tomorrow from, from, from Matt and John saying, why did all our teachers resign from their positions Sunday night, you know? No, right? You, you look at Scripture, the, the gift of teaching, that's a gift to the church and the gift Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4. Teachers are considered a gift. But remember the context of James, that there's fighting and quarreling and double-minded people and there's wrong teaching about faith and works and there's favoritism towards those with power and prestige and position and there's unbridled tongues you, you, you couple with that that in this day and age, teachers were highly assumed. It was a it was a prestigious position, and sometimes people wanted it just for the the prestige it brought, the paycheck, the recognition, the power. Many people desired it for pragmatic reasons. Many people desired it so they could get across their own agendas, so they could have power and control. They had selfish motives. I mean, Paul spoke to this in Philippians one verse seventeen. He said, "Many preached Christ out of selfish." ambition. So it's into this context that James speaks this warning about teaching. Why? Because teaching is a big deal. And if these these things that we've listed here in the book of James, these sins, if this is what motivated and characterized the teacher, then they are spiritually immature and are susceptible to sin, especially sins of the tongue, which according to James here, are the most deadly. So this is why James says here, We all stumble, in verse 2, we all stumble in many ways. So the logic here is that the teacher is opening himself up to sin because we all sin easily with the tongue. And the teacher is putting himself in a position to sin because the teacher is using his words more. So it better be a solid, spiritually mature person who is teaching because if it's not, you have a person who's going to be more loose with their lips and therefore more susceptible to judgments. Teachers are exposing themselves to the greater danger of judgment because of the nature of the tongue and the difficulty of controlling it. Its position needs to be reserved for those who are mature enough to handle it. Right? God holds them to a high Standard. And this is consistent throughout the New Testament. Luke 12, Jesus says, To whom much is given, much more will be asked. James 2.14, Paul uses with Timothy this language, of Guard the trust. Guard the deposit. Teach well what you've been given, right? Mark 12, verse 40, Jesus declares that the Jewish teachers will receive a great condemnation because of their bad teaching. Right? So again, he's not saying don't teach, but he's saying you better be aware of what you're getting into. And we shouldn't let just anybody teach because the words are dangerous, can be dangerous. And spiritually immature person can use bad words and they're setting themselves up for judgment. So if you're teaching, continue to do what you're doing. Just be careful, right? And make sure that your lives match what you're teaching. Paul says this to Timothy too, right? Watch your life and doctrine closely, right? It's a warning, Prepare well. Don't just throw something together. But here's the thing too, right? The seriousness and the heaviness of teaching also communicates the beautiful and noble nature of teaching. It's so serious because it has a great potential to be so impactful. So it is a gift. It is a blessing. But We just need to guard it. Words matter. Words are important. Words can damage. Words can lead astray. So he starts right here by talking about it in particular in relation to teachers. But then he moves on to some general statements about the tongue that apply to all of us. My tongue is difficult to control. Right? Chapter 3 here, verse 2. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, also able to bridle his whole body. Right? Tongue is difficult to control. And James is saying if a person can, can control their tongue, they are a, a mature person. They're spiritually mature. If you can control that, you are demonstrating spiritual maturity. When you start learning a guitar, one of the hardest things to learn on a guitar when you're learning guitar chords is, the, is bar chords. Because they make your fingers do things that your fingers aren't made to do. And you're having to put pressure across the, the entire fretboard and then move the other fingers to certain notes and hold it all down without it making that bad vibration sound, right? But here's the thing, and I tell my I tell you, if you want to learn learn how to play the bar, bar chords right away, because if you just learn all the other ones, you're gonna get late. you're not gonna want to go back and learn the bar chords. They're, they're harder to go back and learn, so learn them at the beginning. And if you can learn those bar chords at the beginning, you're gonna more easily the other ones will come a lot easier. And that's kind of what James is 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 getting at here. This word perfect. What he's not saying is is only perfect people can control their tongue. His word perfect here, it's the same word he used back in chapter 1, verse 4, that that stands in for mature. So he's saying the mature person masters their tongue and controls their tongue. Control of the tongue, James is implying here, should increase with maturity as the Christian gains victory over sin show me a person who can master their tongue and I'll show you a person generally speaking who is pretty successful in mastering other areas of their life because our mouths generally are the things that get us in trouble the most it's a part of us that leads us astray the easiest right it's, it's kind of like this right here right <laughs> Daniel's son whoever can catch fly with chopstick can do anything right so James is saying, in essence, you can control your tongue, and you can probably control everything else. You get that one under control. If you have that kind of maturity and that kind of discipline to master your words, you're demonstrating spiritual maturity, and you're probably going to be able to keep everything else in check. And he uses the word bridal here in chapter 3, verse 2. Bridle his tongue. This is a throwback word. He's already said this back in chapter 1, verse 26, about the one who thinks he's religious but doesn't bridle his tongue. That person's religion is worthless. It also connects ahead head to an illustration he's going to use just in a minute about a horse and the bridle in the horse's mouth. So bridling and controlling their tongue is key. You look at how difficult this is throughout Scripture. Even the most godly in Scripture, Job, Look at Job, right? He's called blameless and upright. Yet in the final chapter of the book of Job, he understands that he has to silence his mouth. He says, I lay my hand upon my mouth. And we know that though Job never cursed God and died, Job said some pretty stupid things. Right? And God had to step in. Job, were you there? Right? Isaiah, I am a man of unclean lips, he says. Right? This is Isaiah, the great prophet. Moses, the greatest prophet who ever lived, he was. Numbers twelve says he, he was great and humble, and yet Psalm one hundred six thirty three says he spoke rashly with his lips. He got angry and he struck it. He spoke rashly. This is great. Moses, Peter, the great apostle. I will never fall away. Boastful, right? Matthew twenty six. But then hours later, he denies Christ. Paul. In Acts twenty three three, he's brought before the high priest, and he loses it with Ananias, the high priest. He says, "You whitewashed wall." I mean, I read that, and I'm like, "Yeah, get him, Paul." Right? But do you read Paul's Paul's rebuke? Don't you know this is the high priest? And Paul apologizes. I'm sorry, I didn't realize who I was speaking to. So even Paul speaks without thinking. There. So what's the point here? The point is, we better be aware of the power of the tongue. And understand, yes, this is a difficult thing to control. I need to be aware of that. And handle it appropriately. Because we're just careless. The careless whispers escape from our mouths too often. We're not aware of what we're saying. We don't think about what we're saying. But we need to handle this part of our body with the utmost concern and thoughtfulness. Zach got this little... uh, Got these science project things from someone a while back, and uh, so he had this rocket. And you mix this, you put this uh, this mixture in it, and it creates this chemical reaction. And then, uh, then real quick, you have to you hold the rocket upside down, and you start mixing the stuff. And then you, you you have to put the bottom of the rocket on. It's like this plunger thing; it goes down there and it sticks in there. And um, and then you turn it over, and you got to do all this before the mixture. And you turn it over, and then you set it down. And then you back away from it, and it, it's it's really cool and so Zach and I were just doing this last week and um and it was about the third time we did it, so the, the the little fins were getting a little out of place, and so I went to put it in, and it didn't go in right and so then I'm there, and I'm holding it, and I'm fixing the fins, and Zach's like, "Dad, dad, I'm like, i know <laughs> and and, I'm, and I like put the thing down, I take it off, and I get it on it right but Zach was freaking out and I was starting to because I knew what I was holding in my hand was about to blow and I was going to get a mouthful of something nasty and, and that's the tongue, right? I'm holding this thing that has the potential to blow all the time and I need to be aware of its potential to blow and I need to be cautious with it and I need to be careful with it. My tongue possesses a power that is out of proportion to its size. James goes into these lists of small things, right? We put bits in horses' mouths. We consider the rudder of a ship. We consider a small uh, fire, right? I mean, you, you think about it. This thing right here. That right there. Could burn down hundreds of thousands of acres, houses, and cause untold destruction. That this this right here. That's that's crazy. It's my tongue. Burn it down, damage the rudder. These ships are huge. The rudders are big, right? The rudders to the big aircraft carrier—they're big, but in proportion to the ship. But they have all the power, all the control. The bri- You think about the power of a horse. Put a 300, 350 pound person on the back of a horse and that thing can run all day. That kind of strength. But you put this piece of metal in its mouth and, and, and Megan can get on that animal and control it. Tell it where to go. Stop. Right? That's the tongue. And that's James's point. It's out of proportion. And this power is capable of great destruction. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of a tongue. Death and life. Wow. It's not hyperbole. It's dangerous. James goes back to something. Now he, he changes it. It's not even a metaphor. He doesn't say the tongue is like a fire. The tongue is a fire. Raging, out of control, forest fire. He says it's a world of unrighteousness. Uh, and when he says this, this world of unrighteousness, this word cosmos, this, this implies the world and its evil system. The tongue conveys the wickedness of the world and its system. The tongue becomes the conduit through which the evil world around us finds its expression. And Jesus refers to this, right, in Matthew 15, 11, and 18 through 19. What comes out of a man's mouth? It makes him unclean. It expresses the evil that's in our hearts. Hmm. One commentator says, the wicked world establishes a presence in the body by way of the tongue. James says it stains the whole body. Staining, if you go back, is already a word that we've seen in James. Pure religion is keeping himself unstained from the world's. When I use my tongue the wrong way, I'm working that pure religion. I'm undoing pure religion. I'm supposed to keep myself unstained. But when I use my tongue, and isn't it interesting? I mean, obviously other sins are included in this, but he, he's not saying it's sexual immorality that 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 brings this stain. I mean it does, but but he's going here this 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 tongue. We think of all the big sins, but the tongue, my gossip. My speaking too much, my speaking at the wrong time, my critical spirit, this is what undoes pure religion. This is what stains what is supposed to remain unstained. And when I speak wrongly and rashly, I'm putting that stain on my religion. It sets on fire the entire course of life. The literal reading is it sets on fire the wheel of our genesis. Many of the flames we experience in life come from the sinful use of our tongues. Right? Power to destroy for years. You've heard me tell this story. I'll never forget. And it damaged my view of the church for a long time to the point where when I was in college, I'm like, I I didn't want anything to do with church ministry. I wanted to go into ministry, but not in the church. No way. No way. Of conversation I overheard between my pastor and my dad on the front porch when I was in ninth grade, and I went to my window, in my bedroom, and I listened to their conversation. And I heard the pastor berate my dad, and I said, This sucks. I will never be a part of that. I don't want anything to do with the church. We went, and I was fine going. The church ministry, I'm like, I'm not going to be like those guys. Get damaged. I remember talking not too long ago to, uh, to a lady here in our church Had severed, hadn't talked to her daughter for years. And I said, what, what, what happened? And she said, we said words to one another that we shouldn't have said. And that was it. Years. It sets the course of life on fire, ruins relationships. How many children suffer because of words spoken in anger by a dad that belittled them and shattered them? How many husbands and wives' marriages have been affected because of inability to speak well and lovingly to one another? It's hell. It's hell. We better be aware of its power. It's a conduit of hell itself, James says in verse 6. Right? Right there, look at it. Set on fire by hell. It's a conduit of hell itself. And you think about it, go back to Genesis 3 and the fall. Evil entered the world through speech. Speech. It was the serpent deceiving Eve, lying to Eve, speaking wrongly about God. It was speech that became the conduit for sin to enter the world. James goes on to say it, it, it can't be tamed. It can't be tamed. Here's the thing. Here's the caveat. At least not by a human, right? Right? Our tongues must be affected by the supernatural, by the spirit. We must have a mind saturated with God's powerful word that presents a filter that catches things. And we must be controlled by the spirit. So when that word's about to come out, we hear the spirit of God saying, don't say that. And we respond well to it because we've trained ourselves to listen to the spirit, right? And James said, again, this whole taming thing. Animals can be tamed. I remember as a kid. Growing up, remember uh, the Ringling Brothers Circus, which I don't think is allowed anymore, but uh, remember that? And uh, remember the guy, uh, Gunther Williams? Remember that? The great tiger tamer? I remember as a kid going to see him, and he's tickling tigers, and he's doing all this stuff, and you're like, oh, man. And, and, uh, and James is like, yeah, those things are easier to tame than, than, than the tongue. Augustine says this, James does not say that no one can tame the tongue, but no one of men so that when it is tamed, we confess that this is brought about by the pity, the help, and the grace of God. I need to rely on God. James says it's a restless evil. It's the same word that he uses back in chapter 1, verse 8. It's the same word for unstable. The tongue is an unstable evil, fully, full of deadly poison. Full of deadly poison. Right, you think through scripture. Of sins of the, tongue. the unpardonable sin of Matthew 12 is attached to the use of the tongue. Later on in Matthew 12, Jesus says eschatological judgment is attached to the use of our words. No, most of the ways Satan is described, he's described as a liar, a deceiver, accuser. All sins of the tongue. James here, chapter 3, verse 5, he uses the word boasting. It's the characteristic of the beast. The false prophet in Revelation, they utter great boasts. So the tongue throughout Scripture is associated with great evil. And lastly, we need to understand this. Besides this power, my tongue can both praise God and roast people. And that's not a compliment speaking to its beautiful versatility. <laughs> that's a bad thing. With it, we bless God, and then we curse people made in His image. I was reading one thing, I was talking about pastors, and it says pastors, many times you get up and you proclaim the word of God or you lead in worship, and then you go home and have roast congregation over the dinner table. We sit there with your family and talk badly about this person, this person, and we do the same thing, right? We sit here and we praise my living hope and glory to God, and we get in the car and then we roast the person who we didn't like sitting in our class with us. And James is going, what is your problem? No way. He uses his examples from that na- nature. It's unnatural for springs to produce both salt and clean water. It doesn't happen. And it should be unnatural for the Christian, the mature Christian, to curse and speak negatively and use their speech poorly and then turn around and bless God. These things shouldn't be coming out of the same mouth, right? Listen, if the rudder and the bit and the fire if those things are used well, well, then they accomplish great good. Through your power of your tongue, we've talked a lot about the negatives, but listen, you have power to affect great good through the use of your tongue. Throughout Scripture, right? You can speak truth. You can edify and give grace to the hearer. Proverbs 10, 21, The lips of the righteous feed many. Proverbs 25, 11 says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. It's a beautiful thing. Gold, apples, and silver, those two things together. Right? Think bacon-wrapped bacon. It's a beautiful thing, right? Put the two things together. That's what he's talking about. Wise reproof, corrective, which is like gold, Proverbs 25 says. Preaching, Romans 10, how beautiful are the feet of those who proclaim it can provide comfort. We see throughout scripture 2 Corinthians 7. The tongue of the wise brings healing Proverbs 12. And it's used for worship Hebrews 13:15 continually offer up a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. So use your tongues well. Compliment your wife. Compliment your children. Encourage people. Keep your mouth shut sometimes. Thank people. Instruct and disciple. Right? We're not saying we never correct question or even criticize, but there's a right way to do it, which is where James goes in chapter 4. He talks about wisdom that's from above is gentle and good. It's the tongue being used the right way. I'm to ask our guys uh, come on up as we uh, head into communion. I want to read this little uh, account here as they come up and as we prepare for the Lord's table. This is a story from uh, Howard Hendricks, who's a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary for many years. And he writes this A number of us were speaking um, at a conference. We went across the street at noon to get a bite to eat at a hamburger stand. The place was crowded, and people were standing in line. An elderly lady was in front of me. I guess she was about 65. She was actually 83, I learned later. She wore a convention badge, so I knew she was there for the conference. There was a table for four open, so two friends and I invited her to join us. I asked her the obvious question, do you teach a Sunday school class? Oh, I certainly do, she said. I visualized a class of senior citizens, but I asked her, what age group do you teach? I teach a class of junior, junior high boys. Junior high boys? How many boys do you have? Thirteen, she said sweetly. Tremendous. I suppose you come from a rather large church. No, sir, it's very small, she said. We have about 55 in our Sunday school. Hardly daring to go on, I said, what brings you to this Sunday school convention? "Oh, I'm on a pension. My husband died a number of years ago, she replied, and frankly, this is the first time a convention has been come close enough to my home so that I could afford to attend it. So I bought a Greyhound ticket and rode all last night to get here this morning and attend two workshops. I want to learn something that will make me a better teacher. Hendricks went on to add, I heard a sequel to this story sometime later. A doctor told me there are 84 young men in or moving towards Christian ministry as a result of this woman's influence. As Howard Hendricks would say, may her tribe increase. May God's people become such teachers. Our tongues can be used for great things. Let's do that. Let's do that.